protect our lives, and, and we don't. Uh, and then when the pastor leaves, it is this uprooting. It's like he, he took so much, and the reason he took so much with him is because you gave him so much while he was here. And that you gave him not what we're going to read about today, where, yes, you obey and follow and love and support, but that you gave him something only Jesus was supposed to have. And, and that is an uprooting. It's a terrible uprooting when you've given something to someone that only Jesus should have and they leave. Because guess what a, a terrible truth is? Everyone leaves but Jesus. So anything you ever give to someone that only Jesus is supposed to have, you will experience an uprooting sooner or later for doing that. Mars Hill was a church in Seattle that grew under the charismatic leadership of just drew a blank, who knows? Thank you, Mark Driscoll. And he had, you can Google his name and read about it probably. He did some questionable things, wicked things, I guess I could say, but it, it, I didn't think it was a mistake they couldn't recover from, but they didn't recover. And 10,000 people, they had 10,000 people, they had eight or nine services or 12 services, ridiculous. He preached at every service, or they watched a video of him preaching, and he steps down, and the church doesn't exist anymore. 10,000 people displaced because they gave something to him that they should have only given to Jesus. So when the church is to be governed by the elders, I think God is placing a structure to rescue us from the pain of hero worship when the hero leaves. And when you have men who live here and attend here and don't get paid to do work here and are probably going to die here and you're, you're not doing the sermon, but I mean, you know, not today. What was that about, Ryan? <laughs> I mean, I meant Nacogdoches County. Um, they're vested and, and they're, you know, it's dangerous to say permanent, but they're stable. They're not coming and going. Then together, you live Christian life, and because there's so many of them, you kind of pass out your loyalties instead of having all your eggs in one basket. I can, it, is, it is an amazing, rewarding thing to see on your faces that you get what I'm saying uh, past the trivial intellectual level. I, I, I really appreciate that you are thinking about your own life and your, because uh, I can see light bulbs going on. So God wants to rescue us from that. So he gives elders to lead, and he tells the elders how they should lead. First, willingly. There's a lot of contrasting here. He says, not, verse 2. Shepherd the flock. We're going to get into what that means and how that's done. That is among you, exercising oversight. Not under compulsion, but willingly. So here's the first way elders should lead in a way that pleases God. Not under compulsion, but willingly. So uh, they don't feel like they have to do it. They feel like they want to do it. One of the reasons that they should do this in, in this time, one of the reasons they should do this willingly is because it involves suffering. It is not a coincidence that in the last text last week, Peter told us, in verse 17 of chapter 4, it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. It begins with us. And then two verses later, he says, therefore, elders. Peter's connecting those two things. 
So he's saying, look, suffering is going to come upon the congregation, so let me talk to the elders about the suffering and how to handle it because they're going to exercise oversight and they're going to exercise, um, they're going to shepherd, and they're not going to do it compulsively but willingly. Why would you do it compulsively when you're signing up for suffering? So being an elder is signing up for suffering. You're one of the first people that gets persecuted in this context. You're the most visible believer. And in our context... You're the person who is going to get blamed for things that other people aren't going to get blamed for or complained about when other things aren't going to be complained about. So you have to have this willing heart, feeling that God called you to do it and not that you have to do it. Don't sign up unless you're called. And the Bible says to, to be an elder, if you desire that, is a good thing. It's not uh, unlike marriage. The Bible says if he who finds a wife has found a good thing. And so... In marriage, my wife's not here today. It's probably why I couldn't find my Bible because she just keeps me together. I'll have to tell her. I missed you, baby. Um, uh, they, they've taken a trip, and so all my kids are gone, and so I'm a little out of sorts. But I can tell you that every guy can relate to this. When you think about marriage, there's a, it's not just gain that you think about. Okay? There's loss, too. And, and I, I, would say this, <laughs> I would say this if she was here. I would just, it's convenient that she's not. But... Um, <laughs> And I don't feel that lost now. I've been married almost 20 years. But, but I, I remember being terrified, terrified of getting married because I thought, the single Mike's dying. He's gone. Like this, I've been with him my whole life. That's the only guy I know. And I did a terrible thing. I told her, I said, I'm going to drive to the Grand Canyon. I'm going to walk to the bottom. I'm going to pray. And if I come back, we'll get married. I told her that 10 days before the wedding. Isn't that awful? And I, drove, I did that. I drove to the Grand Canyon. I prayed about our relationship all the way down. I saw the Colorado River at the bottom. And I was like, okay, I, I, okay, God, you can help me do this. But it wasn't like lightly. I mean, like ladies, you know, you're thinking about marriage from when you're four. You're like, that's, you play marriage and you pick your bridesmaids when you're in junior high. Guys don't think about it till like it's right there. It's like, wow, marriage. So... It's not something you do lightly, and it certainly shouldn't be something you do under compulsion, but willingly, and being an elder is not unlike that. There's a long list of things that you could say are lost when you become an elder, but you feel called to it, and then you get to enjoy all the gain and know that it is an awesome and good thing. Next, generously and not for selfish gain. Verse 9. Not for self, self is gain, but eagerly. Some texts say generously, uh, lavishing on the people that you are tending to. Um, it, it's, a, it's an amazing thing to consider that the elders, according to Scripture, will give an account that others of us won't give. They will give an account to the chief shepherd, who is Jesus, on how they tended the congregation. And when you, when you recognize the, the stoutness of that, um, the, the, the hope to have a thousand people or two thousand people is very, very tamed. Um, there was a, a pastor in England who gave some good advice, Mark Deaver. Um, and now he pastors in Washington, D.C., but he, 
he was mentoring a young pastor who all that pastor wanted was more people, more people, more people, more people, more people. And he said, when you are judged for the people you pastored, you will find you had plenty. <laughs> and so uh, the, these elders are, are, are eagerly lavishing, not for selfish gain, but in generosity, their gifts on the congregation. And the hope is, and how it's supposed to happen biblically, is that the congregation changes and becomes more Christ-like so that when the elders get judged, they get what this passage calls uh, a, a reward, an unfading, unfading glory. You get rewarded. They're, they're, that God says, well done, my good and faithful servant in this particular area, and they get rewarded. And so... Uh, my sister's a school teacher, and she was telling me a story about how her generosity and her eagerness and how she lavished something on a student made a difference, and I think it, it kind of offers a picture. She had a student who didn't have these two fingers that I'm holding down, and she, she teaches like second or third grade, so they do a lot of hand tracing. Maybe that's kindergarten. I don't really know what grade she teaches, but it's the, it's the grade where they trace the hands and make turkeys and all that. I don't know. That's why I teach high school. So... And she was, she was so burdened for this kid because the first time he, he traced both left hands. You know, everyone else was doing two, their two different hands, but he didn't want to trace his hand because he was missing two fingers. And um, at the end of the year, they did another tracing activity. She said they did three or four. So tempted to just make fun of elementary school teachers. They do more than trace hands, I'm sure. But, no, they're great. And my sister's great, too. I'm repenting. Um, Anyway, the, the wonderful good news was at the end of the year, when they traced hands again, he traced his hand and he said to my sister, it's like I'm always saying I love you. And the journey this kid had taken from being afraid to trace this hand to like owning it and loving it and realizing that there was something special about him happened through her generosity. And it's not unlike what is supposed to happen with good elders at a church, that they, are, they take what other people might say our deformities and good grief can't this this person is you know out of their mind in this way or don't they talk too much or they're always complaining or whatever and just with lavish generosity and eager service people get transformed and and end up knowing that they're special in the sight of god and living up to the love that they're supposed to share that's the picture here of what's supposed to happen and that only happens with the next thing humility Verse 3, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. I love when Scripture uh, compares two things, because sometimes you see that things are opposite, that we wouldn't think were opposite. The first two are easy, not... Um, not for profit, but eagerly, not out of compulsion, but willingly. And this one's not out of, um, to, to do it humbly, and then it tells us what humility is, and, and it's interesting, because we wouldn't guess it. We would just think, oh, humility is whatever, looking down at your shoes while you walk, or whatever, or not bragging yourself. But here's what it says. Humility is being an example not domineering over those in your charge, but being an example. So there's this, there's this descent, which is always in the spirit of Jesus, right? He descended from a throne 
to the earth to a cross. So there's this idea of descent, this idea of humility, that yes, you're an elder, but you're amongst the people as an example. You're not um, a guy who, Dave Burgess wrote a book called Teach Like a Pirate, and, and he gave a good example in there. He said some teachers are like lifeguards, and they just, you know, they, they just watch the learning, and every once in a while blow a whistle or yell or scream. He said, but some of them are like swimming structures who are in the water with the, 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 the students. And he says it's the difference between focusing and immersing yourself. I think what, what Peter's calling elders to do here is not just oversight like I'm going to stand up here and I'll keep a watch and I'll blow my whistle and let you know when you mess up because after all I have to give an account and you better live right for me. You know, that's awful. Who would follow that? But all of these is willingly, eagerly, and being an example, being with, this withness, this presence, that yeah, you're, you know, the, the ocean that we're all swimming in in Christianity in America is dangerous, and there's, there's sharks, and there's tide, and there's waves, and it's awful, and people drown every year, but the, the, leader, the elder's not going to stand on the beach and watch. He's in the water, still watching, living life with people, and still watching, multitasking, looking to the future, looking for, toward, for, for wolf in sheep's clothing who may come in and living life with people all at the same time. He's not removed from being an example because, you know, you can't be an example unless you're with people. And so elders are immersed more than focused because elders are sheep as well as shepherds, Right? Because the next passage says the chief shepherd will give them a reward. So there's a chief shepherd that we all follow, no matter who we are. And some of us, as his sheep, are also called to the role of shepherd to help. But you don't just transform into, you know, guy with a staff on a mountain watching sheep. Uh, you're, you're with them and you're loving them and you're one of them while being different at the same time. And then last of all, expectantly. This passage in, in both the beginning and the end talks about elders looking forward at the beginning. At the end of verse 1, it says that Peter says, I'm a partaker in the glory that's going to be revealed. And then at the end, in verse 4, it says, and when the chief shepherd appears you will receive the unfading crown of glory. So there's this expectation of something in the future being revealed where Jesus says, well done for doing this, and you get an unfading crown of glory. I, I don't know, I think I'm, I'm only 99% sure of this. But let's, let's talk about the exact situation here and how blessed you are. Um, when you experience the, the shift that has caused some suffering, the group we just talked about didn't split. You have no idea how amazing that is. So that's why God says you should be elder-led when you have a group of men loving you, praying for you, thinking about your future, 
and they do things that we all experience today. They decide that it should, the service should start at 10.30 or 11 to give some more time, or they decide what this service is going to be about. They decide we should pass, pass the plate and run scriptures to meditate on giving. All these things that happened this morning happened because a group of men constantly ask an incredible question. What would be best for you? That's an amazing thing, to have a group of men constantly ask the question, what would be best for you? And they love you and they pray for you and they try to deliver what they think will be best for you. And the fact that in a rift and a struggle that ended up being drastic and maybe tragic, there wasn't a struggle at that core that split the core is amazing. And more respect and loyalty and love should be given to those men just for that fact alone. You have an opportunity now to apply this passage in a way that would make a difference for a long time. Whether a new pastor comes in, in a quickly or in a long time or ever does, you have an opportunity to not fall victim to hero worship, but instead to biblically love, pray for, and follow the group of men God has given you who constantly ask what would be best for them. It's, it's a gift that many churches don't enjoy. And I wanted you to know that you have that. So let's look at this last text. Hebrews 13, 17. I wanted to start and end with that. This is from the Lord. And we live, it's so, I know it's so difficult. I think I, think I have time. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to insert a story here because I know it's difficult. It's difficult in our culture where independence is celebrated and even rebellion is almost celebrated and we're supposed to be able to live on our own and do our own things. And thankfully, the culture is shifting a little bit with people under 30 realizing that that was just totally a crock, that there's no way you can live independently. You need to live in the plural. And so there's some repentance there. And to, to have this community and this, this plurality taking care of you, I'm going to go out on a limb and, and tell you that I think that unless they're contrary to Scripture, you're never wrong following them. And because I have some time, I'll tell you that personally I've done that. When I was here uh, before as a member and functioned as a member and loved being a member, there was an opportunity I had for ministry that I talked to the elders about, and they didn't think that that was the step I should take. And I took another step. And here's what's amazing. Whether they were wrong or not, I don't know. But I love knowing I wasn't wrong because I followed my elders. And so there's this freedom. It's bad for them, right? Because <laughs> they're on the hook and they're getting judged. But there's this freedom in the congregation to, to, to say, you know what? I can trust my elders. They love me. They pray for me. God's placed them in this. And when I don't know which way to go in a decision, 
if they direct this way, I am not wrong going that way. It's an amazing freedom. And I enjoyed it and have been enjoying it ever, ever since, eight years ago. And so I'm, I'm going that far. I want to go that far and tell you that when it says obey your leaders, that's what it means. <laughs> that there's going to be times where because they love you that they might say something that you think, well, I thought we were supposed to go this way. Obey your leaders. Submit to them. Why? For they are keeping watch over your souls. How heavy is that? Keeping watch over your souls. As those who will have to give an account. It just gets heavier. <laughs> They're keeping watch over your souls as those who are going to have to give an account. So you see the pleading here. And hopefully it has more weight after the sermon let them do this with joy. <laughs> you see, because it's so tempting when you have people over you caring about you and having directing your life to not enjoy that. But throw off the American selfish independent spirit and fall into the biblical joy of just letting people love you and take care of you and the freedom it gives you just to follow. And I don't mean it in a bad way, even though it sounds bad, but the freedom to say, you know what? If they get it wrong, that's on them. God's told me to just go. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. It is of no advantage to you to make their jobs difficult. And there are many advantages for you to make their jobs full of joy. And I pray that's what you would do. Let me pray for you. Jesus, uh, I pray that this sermon wouldn't just be academic, that it wouldn't just be about church structure, but that it would be personal, that we would love and be thankful for elders, that elders would more diligently and more wholeheartedly ask the question, what is best for Grace Bible Church, and have the courage to act on what they sense from you would be best. I pray that people would use the elders for counsel and for direction and not try to live outside of the governing body that you gave the church as a gift. Help us to live up to the passages we read this morning, whether it's from Hebrews to the congregation or whether First Peter to the elders. Help us to apply and be better for meeting here this morning. I ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand to worship.